Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. I'm very, very happy to be here today with today's wonderful guest, Sari-san. And we were connected by friend of the podcast, Nick Kemp. So Sari Okada was a guest on Nick's podcast, but I remember hearing what you were talking about Japanese wellness and of course Nick is really passionate about like the misunderstanding of Ikigai and uh, I commented on it and we connected and we had a wonderful chat and now ironically Saudi is back in Tokyo because she's actually based in the UK in London uh, but we are recording not face to face because we think the sound will be better Um, but we're going to meet it's very exciting we're going to meet very soon But let me do a quick intro of Saudi and her background from her bio, and then we are going to get into all things Ikigai, Japanese wellness, all great stuff. So Saudi is the founder of Mogami, a Japanese wellness brand, which is headquartered in London, UK. So she has lived in in London, which I have never done. So we might talk about that as well. Um, She's a speaker, a Japanese calligrapher for over 20 years, which is amazing. Doesn't look like you're old enough to have been doing anything for more than 20 years, but there you go. And a certified holistic wellness coach. And Saudi published a book, which I haven't read, but shamefully, I ordered it just before we started recording today. But you can buy her book, Until the Death of Me. Um, It's available on Amazon is where I've got it, maybe other places too. But um, she's going to be sharing in the book about her eating disorder recovery journey. And that was published last year, I believe, about October 2021. And um, yeah, Saudi is really focused on the Japanese wellness puzzle, which we might hear a little bit about what that means and what it means to you as a listener of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. So let's dive right in, Saudi. Welcome. Hello. So excited to be here. Yeah. So tell us, tell us, first of all, coming, you know, back to Japan, probably the first time since the pandemic started, like, what's that been like going from London to Tokyo? What do you notice as the the difference of the current we're recording now in what are we June 2022? Yeah, no, I know we were talking earlier, but um, in many ways, Japan is entering the rainy season with Tsuyu. Um, so, you know, I think I was just joking before that it's been raining straight nonstop since I've came back. So in many ways, I feel like I brought the London rain with me. So um, in that sense, I feel it's not too much of a shock. But I think in general, I mean, one, the first thing I did is I went to a convenience store because I yeah. just missed my 7-Eleven so much. Um, because just the quality of food is amazing. But I think overall, it's been interesting I know now Japan is about to open to foreigners and um, I know I've have a lot of friends and um, from all over the world that have been wanting to come to Japan so uh, there is a sense of excitement in terms of that possibility happening mm. and, and like kind of pre-pandemic were you you know traveling quite frequently with your business between London and, and Japan or what was uh, your life like pre-COVID? Great question. So pre-COVID, I actually never lived in London. I only moved 
to London last August. Right. Yes. And before that, I worked uh, and lived in New York for about seven years. So wow. that's probably where I get this pretty strong American accent. That... <laughs> say, you're not sounding <laughs> so cockney there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But before that, I was, I was in New York. Um, I grew up in Tokyo, but then I went to school uh, for a university in the States. And then after graduating, I stayed in the States. But then, you know, after COVID hit and there was a series of events in terms of understanding my own wellness and well-being and what I wanted to do in my life, which very much connects with Ikigai, which I'm sure we'll get to talk about in a bit. But, um, you know, after that, I decided to essentially quit my corporate job in media analytics and then move to London last year. Right. And what was it like moving? Obviously, you hadn't lived in London before any lockdowns or anything like that. But what were those first you know, six months or so living in a new city, experiencing that. How was that for you? Yeah, uh, it's hard to grasp or explain, I think, in a couple of sentences, but I've done that move before, I guess, meaning where, for example, when I first moved to uh, Virginia, which is where my university was at, I've actually never went to or visited Virginia before. So um, I was 18. I boarded flight and then you know they're like this is Charlottesville this is your school and so I remember feeling a sense of you know I was of course scared because it's new so you feel like there's endless possibilities but it's also exciting and I always think that when you start a new phase or chapter in your life there's that duality where you know it's of course very scary but at the same time you're excited about the possibilities so I had a similar feeling when I moved to London and I think there was an added layer of starting a new company in a new country. Yeah. So a couple of added nuances there <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, you know, experiences. That's a little bit different when I was 18, but overall, I think there was a much more of a, a openness in my opinion, uh, following the pandemic, you know, I, I think because when I moved to the UK, it was probably about a year and a half into the start of the pandemic. I feel as though a lot of people were more open to have conversations about their personal well-being. That also includes mental health. Uh, you know, this the openness and willingness for everyone to talk about that. I think has been really interesting and a really great change in, or across the world. Right, great. But what I wanted to ask you a little bit then about Saudi is so you know, your, your business Mogami and it's focused on, on Japanese wellness. Can you tell us a little bit more about this wellness puzzle you were, you were talking about and how it's relevant, you know, to, to people living in London, right. Or around the world as well. Yes, absolutely. So Japanese wellness, I feel Jennifer, you may know, but is really centered around longevity. And so I don't know if you know, but Japan is considered a longevity nation and there's actually more centenarians per capita than any other nation. Mm. And so if you look at what that entails, there's essentially five main cultural wellness practices or concepts that, you know, we focus on at Mogami. And so one of them is Ikigai, which hopefully we'll get to talk about, which is because it is not really about the Venn diagram, it's more focused around these daily practices and actions that you could take 
that connect to your, with your overall well-being. And on top of that, there's other, you know, four pieces is first taking care of your body and taking care of your soul. So this is really with the idea that in Japan, a human, we're supposed to have two aspects. So this is your kokoro to karada, which is your heart or your soul, as well as your body. And so it's essentially using these frameworks of understanding how to take care of yourself holistically. Great. Wonderful. Right. Well, I think we have, you keep saying, we're going to talk about Ikigai. We're going to talk about it. Let's talk about Ikigai because I know that you're interested to to get into it. And one of the things I loved in the notes on the the conversation we had uh, before was this idea of uh, like Ikigai myth busting. Um, And I love that you said here, in the notes, you said, it's a concept that's appreciated by Japanese culture. And growing up, I knew of the concept. It was not something we talked about among my community in great deal. And I was so happy to read this because I remember reading in some various books and articles, this phraseology that was like, all Japanese people have ikigai and all Japanese people know what their ikigai is. And I would be like, you know, on the, the train in Tokyo going, well, they might have it, but I'm not kind of seeing external expression of it. So as someone who grew up in Japan, you know, what, how, how were you raised around the concept of Ikigai? And then how is that different to you now as, you know, a fully grown adult who's lived around the world? Great question. And I'm glad that it resonated with you in terms of the fact that It's not necessarily, you know, a breakfast conversation topic that you have with your family. (laughs) What's your Ricky guy today, Saudi? Yeah. And I think the first thing about Ricky guy is that, you know, everyone is aware of this concept and work. And I want to make sure that that comes across. um, And when we chat, because it's not necessarily something that, you know, is clearly defined, but we know it exists. Um, And so I think growing up, you know, while you are aware of it, you don't necessarily think about it all the time. So, you know, sometimes I worry when I hear people say you, you want to find your ikigai or you want to really pay attention to it. Uh, you know, I think that's actually defeats the purpose of it. And so I think for me, you know, as you get older, I think these are some questions that I started thinking about. You know, I think mm. when you're younger, you just, you know, you have fun. I know personally, when I was going to university, I wasn't really thinking about my reason for being. I was just more focused on trying to graduate and also having fun with my friends. That might be the reason for being at that time. We just don't express it in the same way. It gives you the ikigai can, right? The feeling of ikigai. Exactly. And then, you know, I think as you get older, for me, I think as I was starting off in my career three or four years in, I was really first focused on trying to do a good job. And then afterwards, you know, once you get a hold of it, then I'm sure other people feel the same way where you start questioning whether this is what you really want to do. Um, you know, I think that's also why we see such a you know large trend of people trying to change jobs in their twenties. And so yeah. um, that was the same for me too, where I really just tried to pause now that I checked all the boxes that I thought I had to do, you know, graduate school, get a good job, financially stable. And then it was about trying to, you know, ask more from within. And I really do think that Ikigai is something that is not about labels. It's more about, can you answer the question from within yourself? 
of what makes your life worth living. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a clearly defined answer because something that I like to do, and Jennifer, I don't know if you've had the same experience, but I often try to ask people, you know, oh, like, what do you think of Ikigai's concept or how do you define it? Because, um, you know, I always say, oh, do you know, like in the coaching space in the States, you know, a lot of people are actually really focused on the spend diagram. How would you respond to it? Or, you know, what is your approach to this? And I would say 95% of the time, Japanese people will always say, Exactly. And they say, hmm. And that is also an answer in and of itself, is I always think of that because it's not clearly defined. And they actually accept that that's part of the process and part of the beauty of Ikigai in many ways. Yeah. So I think it's one Ikigai is about accepting that your life is worth living because it truly is. And it's a choice that we make every day. Uh, but to also trying to think about not any labels, but more of how can you from within say that your life is worth living? Yeah. I think it's really interesting as well what you said about it's not the mission statement on the wall or on your website or something that you can just my ikigai is xyz I think it's kind of one aspect behind that mm, ikigai muskashi uh <laughs> feeling that you have and also I think you said you know when you're speaking with uh, uh, Japanese people around ikigai that that kind of response there's also something about to actually though like taking that stand and like expressing your ikigai is moving it from that very personal like lived experience and it kind of makes it vulnerable if you state it to people like these are the things which are important to me this is why I believe my life matters and I wonder if that's a little bit at odds with you know being humble in Japan not blowing our own trumpet too much so um, whilst people may hold it within themselves, the, the external expression is, is a little bit challenging. And then I have another cynical view of it, which is, you know, in according to Google search, the most searched combination of words in English is ikigai book and in Japanese is ikigai nai. <laughs> So maybe, which means uh, no ikigai, right? Like literal translation, I don't have ikigai. So I wonder as well if there's there's something to explore. There's maybe the humbleness, but there's maybe like, actually, I'm not sure what it is or that I can really label it in a way that makes sense. Um, yeah, what comes up for you when you hear that point? That's a really fascinating difference. And I'm trying to just digest mm. that. Interesting. I mean, I often say that, you know, Japan as a society is collectivism, meaning, you know, they always say you don't really want to stand out too much. You know, you want to make sure you respect the harmony of the group versus, you know, I think the Western culture or the States is really more about individualism, where it's about being able to speak your own mind, have an opinion about who you are and be able to advocate for yourself. (laughs) Yes. And I think both are important concepts. And I think that we have made the mistake of taking things to an extreme 
And that can cause, I think, an unbalance and misalignment mm. with who you really are. And using that example, you know, I think the reason why, you know, we've seen such a interest in Ikigai from across the world is perhaps this idea that, you know, one of the factors of the Venn diagram is what the world needs. Mm. And so it really is taking a less, you know, it's taking more about thinking about the world, thinking about others. And so I think there is a longing for community that is coming as a result of that Venn diagram. And perhaps this idea that, you know, Japan is known to be a collectivism culture. So maybe it's about thinking more about others that could help us give meaning. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But at the flip time, yeah. But I was just going to say, you know, but ikigai nai is just, you know, I don't have ikigai. (laughs) And maybe, yeah, which is one really, you know, it's sad and it's, but I also understand that perhaps it's because they haven't, been given the opportunity to think about themselves. And I think Mm. sometimes Japanese society, when it's taken to an extreme, it doesn't give room for individuals to think about their personal needs because they have to sometimes sacrifice that for the overall harmony. Right, yeah. So we focus on like what the world needs, but we can't answer the question or we're not having the space to answer the question, what do I need actually? like what, what's what's uh what's the thing which is important to me yeah I think that's a great great point Sally thank you for uh sharing the nuance from your perspective as well I think it's really important to have one of the other things that you said which is very interesting in the notes was about um perfection as the enemy of ikigai I'd love you to expand on that really it really hit me like a, you know two by four because I thought you know, one of the other uh, truisms that I have in, in my head is, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. I, I love that expression, but I think I might add perfection is the enemy of ikigai uh, to my list of <laughs> list of post-it notes around my room. Uh, but what does it mean to you and how has it shown up in your life, Saudi? You know, growing up, I was often labeled as the perfect child. And you know, this wasn't something that I think my parents really pushed on me. It was really interesting because it was something that, you know, I I think I very much actually tried to internalize myself. Mm. Meaning, you know, I think growing up, I had good grades. I was also an all-star athlete. I, you know, was very responsible. I was the good kid in school. And so I felt as though, you know, if I was not perfect or meeting everyone's expectations, then I didn't know who I was. Mm. And I think in the short term, it actually uh, led to a lot of excellence, you know, because, Mm. you know, I think in many ways you can say perhaps that helped me get into a good university. It helped me build the skills that I need to be able to you know, execute when I need to in my job. Yeah. So I think that, again, it's very short term. It worked very much in my favor. Yeah. But the challenge that I felt is that it took me a long time to realize this, but I was actually very, my primary emotion that was tied to perfectionism or my need to be perfect was actually fear. Mm. And I remember because I... Every time my manager would ping me at work, 
And, you know, my first thought is, what did I do wrong? <laughs> what, what praise is coming my way today? It was the seven years I worked, it never, it was always, what did I do wrong? And I knew that my body was telling me I was scared because my heart was beating a hundred miles an hour. And it was interesting because I would say 95% of the time, it was nothing actually, I didn't do anything wrong. It was more about, oh, I just wanted to check in how you're doing or, oh, great job. <laughs> great job on this project. You know, in many ways it was um, compliments or mm. it was just asking or checking in really. Yeah. But it was interesting because, you know, when I started realizing these, this internal dialogue, that I was very much driven by fear, it really made me realize that, okay, am I trying to live a life worth living, which is what Ikigai is about, but I wasn't able to think about that because I was actually just always scared. Yeah, because there's something interesting, isn't there, you know, Ikigai as presented in the coaching and the wellness world it is often you know, we have to have something which is honorable. We have to have something which is, yes, a life worthwhile. But of course, it can also be quite toxic, right? Like we can enjoy, we can be, you know, competition can be our ikigai. I want to take this person down. I want to beat them. I love the feeling of winning. That makes me feel alive. I feel like a sense of control. You know, I, I feel like I'm here. I feel, you know, here and now I'm alive in this moment as I you know, you said you're an all-star athlete, right? So in that moment of glory, there is a feeling of ikigai. Doing something perfectly has a potential to make you feel like, well, I'm shit hot. I'm a really awesome human and uh, everything's good. But as you said, it became less of like an ally. And it was kind of having this darker side to it that you were so worried to be kind of knocked off that pedestal almost right to not but to not win um so it, it sounds like it was really really tenuous experience and I see you nodding and yeah what's what's coming up for you in that yeah no I think I love the way you explain that because it's so true that I also think that my perfectionism actually extended beyond my professional career and it extended to my personal life mm. and so I know you shared at the beginning that I did have a eating disorder journey. Um, and so that started in my teens, actually. And it was a combination of feeling as though I had to be perfect physically as well. as, And so, you know, this need to look a certain way to be a certain size really drove me to, you know, at the detriment of my mental well-being. And, um, I was basically when I was 23, I moved to Toronto for one year, uh, for work. And so I was in Toronto and I remember I was exercising like two hours a day and, you know, I was barely eating. And, um, then I would have these episodes where I would be so hungry. So then I would binge eat and then I would try to throw up. So then, there was a time where I actually threw up blood Oh my God! and I was so weak because at that point I wasn't, I didn't weigh that much. I also, you know, I was definitely not taking enough fluids. And I remember lying on the floor of my 30 on my 35th floor apartment in Toronto alone. 
And I just remember feeling, you know, is this what my life is meant to be? Because in many ways I had it all, right? You could say Mm. I had a good job. I had a good living situation. I achieved everything that I thought would make me happy, but I'm here alone. And I just remember thinking that was the turning point in my perfectionism, where I realized that I don't want to live this life Mm. where I'm constantly scared. And so I think that's really about what Ikigai is meaning, you know, I fear that the Venn diagram doesn't talk about these nuances. Yeah. You know, it's more than your career. It's extends beyond that. And it's really about your well-being and your personal life in its entirety. And so if we don't make sure to be mindful of that, then to your point about Ikigai being, you know, in many ways, perfectionism can almost disguise to be Ikigai for the yeah. short term. Mm. And I can imagine if I'm pursuing Ikigai from a perfectionist standpoint, I, I, I love the Venn diagram as a coaching tool. I think it's really, really helpful. It asks great questions. You know, it can, it can be really supportive to, for some people to kind of open up to different opportunities and, and bring different ideas together and go, wow, I didn't realize that this was something that I could also make my livelihood you know, there's some people have these stories about, I can't enjoy work, for example, or um, I can only do the things which, you know, the things which I love, um, I can't be paid for, you know, so there's some, some, it helps to put some different stories in different perspectives. But I can imagine, and, and, and through some of the clients, when I've done coaching around with using the Venn diagram, I've said, by the way, there isn't this one mythical piece I can imagine for, for people who are really focusing on this, on perfectionism, for example, and being in control, that elusive nature, like not having something in that sweet spot, like what a loser I am because I can't find the answer. It could be just become really damaging. So I, I, I always find in those workshops, um, just try to like open up like all these different experiences or these different ways to do. So I think it's... um it's important to, to bring that nuance in. And as well, I just thank you so much for, for sharing your, you know, really deep and personal experience. And I think there's something to be, you know, the more people I, I talk to about Ikigai and, and, and on the podcast, many people, not all the same situation, but there's something about that, that turning point can arrive where you go, hang on. <laughs> I've got all the external trappings of what I was told I was supposed to have. Why am I, and I'm going to swear, why am I so fucking miserable? You know, this was, is not part of the plan, right? So I hope that people will, will hear your experience and it might give them a little like, it's okay to want more. It's all right to want, or to want different, let's say, to want to have something different. And to break out of some of those stories that, you know, perfectionism was your ally for a long time. And now there was a point when not so much, not so much. I just, you know, you said it like there I was weak alone on the floor in his apartment. Like, what did that recovery look like, you know, and how does that tie into 
your perspective of Ikigai now? You know, I think that recovery is from anything is a journey is Mm. how I see it. You know, there's many ups and downs and it's not necessarily like, you know, you have a switch and it's like, okay, you're good to go. (laughs) As much as we would like that, but I'm also, I'm very grateful for my experience with my eating disorder because it has taught me how to accept myself. Mm. And it really resonated with me, Jennifer, when you were saying about how, you know, perfectionism was my ally, but even when you talk through your cl- with your clients, you actually want to give them acceptance that you could want other things. Because ikigai, if you look at the definition, you know how the second part is gai. Mm. And gai, if you look at the definition of what that character means, it means that it's worth living and you hope that your actions will be worth it. And what that means is that we actually don't know for certain, but we take action anyways. And that is so powerful because that means that we are no longer trying to have absolute control, which is sometimes for me, what my perfectionism was trying to do. I was always trying to be in control of everything in my life. And so now how I try to, live with ikigai is really one of acceptance Mm. meaning you accept yourself for who you are because you are good enough as you are in this moment and that doesn't mean that i don't strive to be better it also means because i do want i have a growth mindset i always want to grow i always want to be a better person i always want to learn new things but it no longer comes from a place where I feel as though I'm not good enough if I'm not X. Mm. I love that balance that you have between, because I, I, I definitely feel that how Ikigai kind of shows up for me in, in many ways is about like looking forward to the future or wanting to learn new things like in the, um, the Ikigai 9 uh, assessment. I think that that hope and that future looking is really important. But the, again, like the texture that you add, which is, and I want to do all these things. So there's a reason to wake up tomorrow, but I'm also okay right now. I accept who I am. Um, and there's also that acceptance of um, the experiences in your past that, that brought you to, to where you are. So I think that balance is, is, seems quite key to me as a a way for Ikigai uh, can, Ikigai feeling to express itself in your life. I want to shift a little bit to talk about another, you have so many gems in your notes. Oh my goodness. And it's, it's kind of aligned because around the, the theme of acceptance, you said Ikigai is the admission ticket to the museum of yourself. So First of all, uh, how much is this admission ticket? You know, how do I get one? And, um, and what can I hope to see on the permanent collection or the uh, maybe there's a visiting, a visiting artist coming? Um, tell me about this museum of self and what I get included in my admission ticket. Great question. Well, what if I said it's actually completely free? Love it. Yes, everyone <laughs> loves free myself included and um, you know but I think what's interesting is that you know as I was writing these notes it really just popped up for me that I was 
you know, this isn't great. I think that's how I would probably explain Ikigai because it's all within us, which I think is a theme that we've been touching on before. But you're, I think the price is actually you need to become aware of it. Mm. Awareness is probably the price of admission ticket. Because it's actually most likely right here in front of you. It's invisible. But once you are aware that you can enter this museum of yourself, then it will pop up in your view. Gorgeous. I love it. And, and you talked earlier that there are um, a sort of different day, like Ikigai to you as well is about like daily practices and small things that you can do. So do you have any uh, advice or tips or practices to share with listeners about, yeah, how they might get this amazing admission ticket, how they can access it with their awareness? I would say, you know, if we're using this museum and you've got your ticket, you're so excited to explore, then, you know, I think what we want to do now is have that genuine sense of curiosity. Mm. You know, I don't know about you, but I remember going to museums as a child and I was always so excited because you were like, everything is so different. Everything is new. And you have this sense of childlike joy that I think sometimes we forget as adults. And I think we also take ourselves for granted because we also spend the most amount of time with ourselves. So perhaps we feel as though, you know, we have ourselves figured out or we know exactly what we want. But, you know, I think in this day and age where we are constantly exposed to, you know, media, technology, external stimulus, we actually can't really find the time to get to know ourselves. Mm. And so you know, this also comes from a place of self-respect because, you know, if I were to ask the listeners here, were you the same as when the pandemic started? I really think the answer is no, because we have all changed in some shape or form. And so, you know, I think it's actually being, you know, having that genuine sense of curiosity, self-respect and enjoy this process. You know, I think sometimes professional development and personal development can get a very serious tone and there's absolutely a time and place for that but I also think that we want to be you know we want to remember that this could be fun Mm. you know this is actually a process of having joy and saying okay I'm different from three years ago how am I different you know what are some things that catch my attention how do I like to spend my like free time it's really following your curiosity on trying to understand what brings you joy, I think is a really great step in terms of understanding your guy. Wonderful, wonderful advice. I love that. You know, I, when you talked about um, how do you feel when you went to a museum, I laughed because I was thinking, I think recently when I've, I've sort of approaching museums a bit like, oh, because I'm going to, you know, museums in Japan and all the notes are in Japanese and my candy is not that great. So I don't read anything. And then I think about um, the museums that my kids love are all like the interactive museums where you can, you know, push the buttons and you can do the things and make stuff happen. So I think I need to make the museum of myself in my mind, as you said, like not to be that kind of really badly curated and not accessible and open to the person, the people who are coming and to make the museum of myself be, um, yes, well curated and also interactive with cool stuff. (laughs) Because it is cool. It is cool. 
and uh, yeah to enjoy enjoy the trip to the museum rather than go oh you know another dusty old relic this old story still here <laughs> why is this belief still sitting around oh my god get rid of it um yeah to to be a bit more playful so thank you for reminding uh, me of that as well as our listeners so I've asked you lots of questions, but I think there were some points maybe that I haven't touched on and maybe you want to bring out. So I'm going to ask my secret question now, which came from a previous guest, friend of the podcast, Matthew Dons, which is it's written here, what's the question I should have asked you? So the question I didn't ask you yet, but I should have asked you and something you really want to talk about. I think the question, well, because you're asking me a question, The question that I actually want to ask you, Jennifer, is (laughs) I'm going to throw this back on you. I was just so curious because you know how I was sharing how my Ikigai definition changed over time and how it really showed up in terms of, you know, perfectionism and like a turning point. I'm dying to know the answer of, you know, what was a turning point for you in terms of understanding Ikigai or living a life of Ikigai? Good question. So one other thing that you wrote before I directly answer this question, um, I put a big like love heart and fully agree next to a comment that you wrote in the notes, um, which was the impermanence and changeability of one's ikigai. So I'm absolutely on board with that, that it is ages and stages, you know, different awareness of what's happening in the world it's not like a one and done. I mean, some people have one and done and, you know, more power to their elbow. Great for them. Um, I've definitely feel it shifts. And I think maybe that openness, that awareness that my reason for living and being here is shifting is kind of the turning point. But I can't tell you like it happened at three o'clock on Tuesday on on, on this year. Um but I do, I do remember a point when I was in my previous company before I set up my own business. And that was the point when I was like, what am I doing? You know, I, I had two kids, um, lovely house, lovely husband. Um, and then I got a, a hernia. I slipped a disc and I couldn't move for, you know, I, I it was in so much pain all the time. And I I was also in a really challenging position in a team that wasn't functioning very well. And I think it was my body saying this, maybe this is the thing, right? Your body said you're vomiting up blood. Now maybe it's time to stop on this, this path. And my body said, um, you can't move. This is what you're doing is, is slowly in a different way is slowly killing you. But it really made me question as well all of those things because I was like, okay, so who am I without my work? It's not going, you know, it's not going how it should be going. I couldn't be the mother I wanted to be. I couldn't pick up my kids. I couldn't, you know, hold them. I couldn't comfort them. I couldn't be the wife I wanted to be. Couldn't be with my partner. And intimacy was out of the question as well as just like mental intimacy I didn't have even space for because I was feeling so sorry for myself. And, um, you know, that that was the moment. Uh, it was a long, several month long period of, of, you know, like pain management and so on. But it was just like something's got to change. Something's got to change from now. And it did. And I started to work with a coach and I went through 
um, lots of kind of career coaching. I wish I'd known about the concept of Ikigai. That probably would have been quite helpful for me, but I did. I didn't know about it at that time. Came to me after I started my coaching business, but then things, yeah, then things started to change and I, I was able to go, what do I value? Who do I want to be? Yeah, what makes my life worth living? Because like this pain, mental and physical pain is not how I want to be in this world. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, I think it also just made me feel as though the importance of listening to our bodies. Right. And um, my mom actually always used to tell me this where, you know, she says, oh, some, sometimes your mind will trick you that you're okay. And the more powerful your mind is, you know, the more power it has to trick you. Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. And that you kind of, yeah, you Jedi mind trick yourself into this, but the body, yeah, the body really tells you what's going on. Yes. And so like, sometimes I, when I work with my clients, I always will ask them, you know, how does your body feel? Because perhaps even though, you know, I can still be, you know, I think that's why it's also a daily practice, you know, when I'm working all the time, even when it's something you're passionate about, you need to make sure you listen to your body because otherwise you realize that you've been sitting on, you know, working on something for 10 hours and you haven't even, you know, gone to the bathroom mm. and your, <laughs> your shoulders are super tense and up, up around your ears. Yeah. Exactly. And then, you know, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I was not paying attention to you. So I think it really also is where perhaps there's hints. Uh, yeah. You know, I think that's also another way that perhaps your listeners can explore Ikigai is, you know, perhaps your mind is saying everything is okay, but how is your body feeling? Yeah, those little hints. You just reminded me of there was a moment in uh, the coaching session with my coach at that time and I was like okay yeah I think I want to I want to um, retrain as a coach go back because I had worked in um, L&D before I want to be back in the classroom as a practitioner and a facilitator all of these things and she asked the question um, what if you stayed and like retrained whilst you were work still working this job so you could like do the coaching course retraining at night and then you know nine to five day job and when she asked this question, my body did not lie. My body did not trick me. I was like, I think I'm going to be sick. Like a little bit of <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> pay attention, pay attention. So there's, yeah, there's many ways. Um, and, and, and actually, you know, sort of thinking about um, the, the challenges with uh, your eating disorder uh, recovery journey, there's something, isn't it, that, something to learn from you can't listen to your body when you're trying to control your body so much right yes and it's funny because I think you know I never really understood the difference until I'm where I am now where you know it's more about for me it's about being intuitive it's about listening to my body and I often try to say it's similar to exercising a muscle where Mm. you know listening to your body is also a practice and that's why you have to train it and you have to give yourself permission that it's going to take time yeah and I think this notion of trying to control is what actually 
made my eating disorder last such a long time where, you know, in many ways you could say that that is perfectionism to an extreme. But I also think that, you know, I try to explain it as if you were a, a computer and your mind is a software and your body is a hardware, if your mind is sick or you have a bug in the software, your computer is going to run with an error in the mm. overall system. But how do you fix a broken software? You have to retype the code so that it will update. And for me, that is acceptance. That's your consciousness. That is something else. That's not this control mindset. Right. And so, you know, I think it's when you understand and really come to accept yourself as you are understanding that you also change over time, like we talked about, but it really is this notion of letting go. Beautiful. Let's rewrite the code on that for sure. A great uh, call to action for all of the listeners. So as a final message from you, Saudi, um, what would you love the listeners of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai to have as their takeaway? The one thing that they should remember from what we talked about today? Great question. (laughs) I think there were so many gems uh, in terms of what we were talking about, but I always think that Ikigai sometimes can seem like a grand idea because if we look at the Venn diagram, it can sometimes seem as though it's unachievable and especially for someone that is really hard on themselves or really wants hardworking, that could also even be, you know, it could be harmful in that way. Mm -hmm. But I think what I would love for everyone to take away from our conversation is that Ikigai is really about acceptance and it's really about letting go of this notion of control. And so if everyone could come from a place of curiosity in terms of what is one thing that brings them joy in their lives today, you know, I think that's a much more authentic way to start living a life of Ikigai. Wonderful, great call to action for everyone to find that one small thing or big thing it might be depending on what you have that you can do today that brings you joy what are you going to do then after this uh after this is your one small thing of joy Saudi let's give an example well I'm going to say because I'm back in Japan yeah I love karaoke and so (laughs) and I love karaoke with my sister and so I might go find some time and sing a few songs that sounds amazing way to live your ikigai karaoke so using your body with your sister someone you love i don't think that that sounds a great way to embrace your ikigai and integrate it into your life today so thank you so much for your time and your precious time whilst you're in the same time zone as well um everyone can see all of your links and uh, information um, about the book and your business and can get in contact with you the details down below or in the show notes depending whether you're watching on youtube or you are listening to the podcast so thank you so much, Saudi Okada, for being with us today. We really appreciate it. And we wish you a lovely time, the rest of your time in Japan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly 
what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.